turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 10. That's where we'll be uh, camping out today is Acts chapter 10. It's kind of a perfect moment to, to get your device flipped to Acts chapter 10 or uh, your Bible, whatever it is that you're going to be going over today's scripture through. We're going to be going through um, all of Acts chapter 10 today. We're going to be um, just highlighting some things that um, as I prayed about and as I studied for today's message with the um, overall uh, title of our sermon series, and yet here we are. Um, I was looking at this, and honestly, I'll tell you guys, when I first, uh, when me, Tony, and Nick first talked about doing it, and yet here we are series, and going through some um, things that stuck out in the book of Acts, and regardless of those persecutions or different things that happened that tried to squash the gospel, like, look, yeah, here we are, all this time later. When I first <laughs> wrote the outline, um, it went from... Saul's conversion, which I went over last week, to um, the next thing I had listed was the death of James and the arrest of Peter. And so after last week's message, and I, was, I hit, the, hit the book and started getting ready for this week's message, I was like, all right, God's telling me something here. I've covered Peter being arrested and freed from prison once. I've covered Peter being arrested and freed from prison twice, and now here, just through the uh, schedule and how it worked out with me and Nick rotating, I'm on Peter being broke out of prison again, and I was like, I just felt like I was missing something. I felt like there was something that I could go to. I started reading in those areas and looking back and forth, and I'm like, and yet here we are all this time later, and I skipped over the Gentiles re receiving the Holy Spirit. So I kind of um, re-guided, re retracked, and it was like, you know what, we're going to get in some chapter 10 today. So, um, and, and what it really made me think of is how God reaches the unreachable, or God uh, reveals himself to people we might not think um, would ever receive God's word. And it reminds me of a couple stories, so I want to tell you guys a couple stories on just how um, I've seen, heard, or read of God working to reach um, the unreachable people or placing his sovereign hand in the lives of unreachable people. And so the first one, this just kind of happened just this week as I was studying for this. So um, I was working the other day and I stopped and take lunch and I pull out my phone and I get on Facebook and I have a friend request from uh, this girl, and I don't know who she is, and so normally it's like, I am not going to accept this, I don't really know this person, there's a lot of common friends, I could tell she was from Carbon County, and I felt that tugging from the Holy Spirit, like, no, something deeper here, so I was like, all right, and it was a little bit, uh, it was the prompting of the Holy Spirit, and then that got me to being my nosy self, and I'm like, well, Let's just Facebook stalk for a second. Maybe you do know her. Maybe, you, maybe there's something you're missing here. So I hit accept so that it opened up more of her profile and I could see who she was. And as it opened up, I came to the conclusion that I still don't know who she is. But the first post on her timeline was 
a, a post that some people will click the little heart button or some people will say, uh, you're on our mind, you can do this, girl, or you got this. And it was a, it was a long post of her saying, um, like, look, I've tried. I'm sorry to the people I've hurt in life. I try over and over again, and all I can seem to do is mess up. I think that um, I've tried my last try. I'm sorry. Don't cry when I'm gone. And to me, I was reading like the prompting of a suicide note. And I, at that moment, I was like, I know why God was saying, look into this. This young lady is crying out for a savior. And so I just was like, all right, you know what? I don't know her. So I didn't want to air it out just on her post and stuff. So I sent her a message. I'm like, look, I don't really know you. I don't know why you sent me a request. I don't know why I accepted it. But what are you going through? Like, what's going on right now? Nothing's bad enough to the point where you need to take your own life. Nothing is that bad. Like, I know some people, uh, like, let's get you some help. And so she kind of told me that um, she was stranded in Salt Lake, was kicked out of where she was staying. She was out up there with uh, nothing to stay warm. She, she told me some pretty um, horrific stuff in the message. She had been robbed, she had been beaten up, she had been raped, and she just wanted to get back to here where her family was, and she was like, I don't want money from you, I don't want you to send me cash, if you know any resources or services that can help me with a train ticket, one leaves tonight, I've looked into it, I need the $28 to get back, and so um, my first instinct was like, okay, hold on a minute, get my wallet, call Amtrak, get her a ticket. And then I started thinking about it. I'm like, look, slow down, Chris. And it's kind of something me and Tony talked about this morning. Like, I see something and I just want, uh, let's do it. I want to I fix it right away. But I slowed down. I was like, wait a minute. Okay, so I get her this ticket and then what? She gets back to Carbon County and then what? What's the next step? So I was like, hold on a minute. So I reached out to Anastasia and Davey that do, run Lost and Found. And I was like, Anastasia, um, I want to share a couple messages with you from this young lady and so you can see what she's going through. I think this is up your guys' alley. I think this is something that you guys can possibly help with. So I sent Anastasia the uh, messages and she said, yes, put me in contact with her. So I started a group chat between myself, Anastasia, and uh, the young lady and they started talking and Anastasia got, um, was able to get some information get her a train ticket back to Carbon County, and she's in the process getting ready to leave to treatment in California any day right now. So there was this unreachable situation. There was this situation that I didn't know why it was presented, but I was, I was like, all right, hold on. I know people that are Christ-focused and want to help her and want to help her. So we, he, God, through his sovereignty of just me, slowing down and not just fixing it and having her stranded here, was able to put her in some people where she's going to go to a Christ-centered treatment place in California. Um, another story is my friend Travis. Me and Travis, we, uh, we spent a lot of time together when I lived in Salt Lake. And I wouldn't go so far as to say he was a Satan worshiper, 
but he was one of those dudes that listened to like the darkest, evilest rock music you could imagine in your life. It didn't sound like, maybe if I would have Googled the lyrics, I probably could have found out maybe there was some Satan stuff in there, but it was that type of music that screams so dark and evil, you don't really know what they're talking about, and you're just kind of scared and awkward, and you're like, what's going on right now? But, um, and so he had his own, his own way about him. He had this, uh, I wouldn't go so far to say goth, but he, he always wearing black, long hair, never really looking the guy in the eyes, you know what I mean? Just that kind of feeling about him. And way before I ever did, uh, I noticed one day, I see this picture, and it's his name on Facebook, Travis Howe, and like... There's this clean-cut dude, and he's got short hair, and he's got a haircut and stuff. And I was like, did someone clone this guy's page or his name, or is this the same person or what? So um, I look, and I look at his thing, and, he, and he's talking about God. He's talking about Jesus. And I had lost contact with him where we weren't hanging out as much. And so um, at that time, I was, I was in an unreachable place. I was going through my struggles, and so... I had that personality, like, oh, Travis found God or whatever. Good for him, you know? And then, you know, uh, kind of like I talked about last week, God knocked me down on my road to Damascus and came into my life, and I was able to reach out to him, and we just started talking about the gospel and talking about God. And um, I hit him up one time, and I was like, hey, man, me and my wife would like to come up to Salt Lake and attend church with you and your wife. And so we went up there, and we went to... Uh, the Rock Church in West Valley, and we was able to sit there and have a meaningful, meaningful conversation about the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we were able to go over these things together, and it was just cool to see where God had reached into both of our lives. And um, the last one shortly, a story I read about as I was studying this, I was trying to find like a real extreme example of God reaching the unreachable, and some of you guys probably remember it firsthand. For me, being into true crime books and just reading and studying these things, you guys probably know the name David Berkowitz, right? The son of Sam, serial killer, in New York in the 1970s. So the son of Sam, as he was uh, coined at the time, the name he took on, went around and killed multiple people and was arrested for being a serial killer. And what I found through reading some information about him was his story was that Jesus Christ, in the form of a dog, had told him to commit these acts, had told him to kill these people. And that was his defense when he came to court. Jesus Christ, in the form of a dog, told me to commit these acts. And through his time in prison, through his time um, serving his time, God came into his life. He actually went to parole one time and went in front of the judge for a parole hearing and in immediately shut it down and said, look, your honor, I'm going to spend the rest of my life in jail. These parole hearings, they're a formality. But Jesus Christ has came into my life and I know this is where I need to be. There are people that are coming through that door that are lost and are broken and hopeless lives and he's using me to reach these people. And I read, I'm like, okay, not everything you read you can believe. So I tried to dig a little deeper and I actually found a couple articles written by 
the prison chaplain for the prison in New York that he's, uh, that he's locked up in right now. And some of the articles she wrote were amazing. She was like, look, at first I thought this guy was using um, his spirituality and his beliefs as a ploy to try and uh, manipulate the system in one way or another. She's all, but after spending hours and hours of time with this gentleman, she's like, I'm convinced that he is saved and made Jesus Christ the Lord of his life. And like to me, like, like that made me happy when I read that. There is someone that in the history of the United States is one of the darkest figures that we can remember. Headlines for killing people, God came into his life. God came into his life and revealed himself to him. And um, it's, it's a thing that we see throughout the Bible as well. God reaching into places where we never imagined him reaching. Um, we know the history between Jews and Samaria, and we know that God, through um, Philip, the gospel was uh, proclaimed in Samaria. We know like, that it spread to the ends of the earth, but we're like, how did it get to these areas? Um, Ethiopia. We got Philip, who's out there minding his own business, and he's listening, he's like, overhears something, and he hears a gentleman, an Ethiopian eunuch, reading from the book of Isaiah. And so he goes over, hey, I hear what you're reading, what are you reading there? And he tells him, he's like, I'm reading from the scrolls of Isaiah. He's all, but who is he speaking about? And he gets that opportunity to tell him, like, what you're reading is about Jesus Christ. And through that conversation with the Ethiopian eunuch, um, he's like, I believe. And he's all, there's water right now. Let's baptize him. He takes him down to the river and he baptizes him. And so the gospel is spread into that area. And now we're going to see um, the conversion of Cornelius. He is a centurion of the Italian cohort. We're going to see the conversion of him and so to speak, we're going to see the conversion of Peter. And now I know you're probably thinking, like, Peter, well, we know he's already saved. Yeah, he's already saved. He's followed Jesus. But he has these beliefs instilled in him where um, he still has those beliefs of legalism and not so much of grace. Because from what he um, known and believed his whole life, uh, the Gentiles and the Jews, they're set apart from each other. So we're going to take a look at that. Um, we're just going to kind of go through some of it. If you guys can try and just keep up with me as I wing through this, I'll prompt you. But we're going to start at 1, and we'll probably go down through verse 8. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household and gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. But about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius, he stared in terror at him and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed and called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him, and having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. 
So we have Cornelius, who is a centurion of what is known as the Italian cohort. And so in the Roman army, a, a regiment or a cohort was made up of five to 6,000 men. And in that, they had legions, which were the next ranks. They had legions, which were comprised of 600 men. And of those 600 men, you had centurions who were officers um, who were in charge of looking out for 100 men. And so from what I've seen and studied in here, um, the centurions, they were, they were adventuresome. They were fearless, but they were also level-headed. They were stable. Um, and I see some examples in the New Testament when centurions are mentioned, that they're mentioned in a favorable light. Um, they're cast out in a favorable light as they're described in the Word of God. Um, were you guys able to get the ones loaded back up? Okay, so let's take a look at some, a couple examples of them being shed in favorable light. Let's look at Matthew 8, 5 through 13. Matthew 8, 5 through 13. And when he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I, am, for I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me, and I say to one, go ahead and goes come another one, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found so much faith. I tell you, many will come from the east and the west and recline at a table with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. While the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. So we got this centurion at this moment, and he's like, comes up to Jesus, and he's like, look, one of my servants, one of my friends, he is at home, and he is paralyzed and sick. Can you heal him? And Jesus is like ready to jump in and like, look, let's go to your house and let's heal this man. And he's like, I don't even need you to come to my house. If you just say the word, I know that it'll happen. And, the, and Jesus, in favor of the light, tells the servant, I have seen more faith in this centurion right now than I've seen in all of Israel. The next example will be in Matthew 27, 54. And this is the centurion when Jesus is on the cross and ready to give it true crucified. He said, when the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. So in this moment, we got the, every, Jesus on the cross, ready to be crucified, and you have this centurion of all the people there, the centurion of the Roman army that says, truly, this is the Son of God. Cornelius was a man of influence. He, he prayed regularly. He gave alms um, to the, I'm, I'm sure it's probably to the Jewish synagogues. And he believed of the 
monotheistic God of Israel. He didn't pray to any of the other deities. He prayed to God. But he was what they called, uh, well, let's see if I'm jumping ahead of myself. Yeah, he was what he was a God-fearer and what they called a proselyte of the gate. So he believed in God. He prayed to God. He was allowed to attend um, the synagogue, but he wasn't allowed to t- attend temple sacrifices. And it's because of his uh, late conversion and following God. He wasn't one that was circumcised on the eighth day. And if you can imagine being 30 years old or whatever it was at that time. He was like, no, that's painful. I'm not going to do that. But he was a follower of God. And it says he was a prayer warrior and he gave his alms. And in this moment right here, we see God orchestrating this meeting between Cornelius and Peter. And I think there's more than, well, and we'll see in this, there's more than one reason. There's probably more than two reasons. This all goes down for multiple reasons. So that Cornelius, who believes in the Lord, we know that he prays to God, but he wasn't saved yet. He didn't know the whole truth of Jesus Christ. So, excuse me, we see God orchestrating this encounter for that reason. And just as much to get Peter's attention. Like I said, Peter was still um, under the under the false pretense that Jews and Gentiles were separate. And so, what we see in the next part here is Peter receives a vision. And we see that he receives a vision, and it's going to be dealing with food. It's going to be dealing with um, Jewish traditions of certain foods, but... He isn't doing this to change Peter's diet. He's doing this to change Peter's heart. Can we pick up on verse 9, guys? In Acts. The next day as they were... On their journey approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop at the sixth hour. So he went up at noon to pray. And he became hungry. He wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. And he saw the heavens open up and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice that said to him, Rise, Peter, kill And eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. A voice came to him again a second time What God has made clean, do not call common. And this happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once into heaven. I'm going to pause right there, real quick. I don't know uh, the significance of this happening three times. Um, It's probably because Peter's a lot like me, we're hard headed. I know that he denied him three times. I know that this happened three times. Peter has, he has that personality about him where um, he second guesses a couple things and then he's like, all right, let's go. So 
Now, verse 17, now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as what the vision he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate. And they called out and asked whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, behold, three men are looking for you. Right here. Rise and go down to them without hesitation, for I have sent them to you. So he gets this instruction, rise and go down with them, and without hesitation, go with them. I sent them. In the very next verse, and Peter went down and said to the men, I am the one who you were looking for. What do you want? For what reason are you coming? So we, God instructed him to go without hesitation, and the first thing Peter does when he greets them is like, what do you come for? What do you want? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who was well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. Let's pause right there for a second. There was a couple things I thought of when I was when I was studying this. Is like one, um, Cornelius was approached by this angel who said, "Go and find Peter, who is thirty-five miles away, probably a, a three to five-day journey to get down there, and get send the people down there to get Peter and bring him back." So I'm like, "Well, why didn't the angel?" share the gospel with him. So I started looking, studying a little bit, and um, though angels are great, wonderful creations of God, um, from what I found, they're not commissioned to share the gospel, except in one example in End Times in Revelation chapter 14. Um, that's the only time I ever really found where an angel was proclaiming Jesus. And I think the other reason is, is because we've been giving that calling. We as human beings, we've been called to share the gospel with other people. And not so, not, like I said, not just for the conversion of Cornelius, but to change Peter's heart as well. Peter needed this encounter. Peter needed to change from the, that strict ideological, ideology that he had that... Um, Jew and Gentile, and that the gospel was going just for the Jews. He was about to really see firsthand um, the, the new covenant, the covenant of the torn veil when Jesus died and went into heaven and the veil was torn, and it was for all people. Um, another question I kind of thought up was, why didn't Philip do it? Philip, as we read in Acts chapter 8, he was already in Caesarea where this is taking place. He, he actually had a house there. They were calling him Philip the Evangelist. He was staying in this area. And so why not Philip? Why Peter? Like I said, I think Peter needed this encounter just as much as Cornelius. So we have Cornelius who believes in God but doesn't know the whole truth. And we have Peter, who believes in Jesus and knows the whole truth, but kind of wants to steer the ship. 
kind of wants to stick to his ways and be in charge, so to speak. So, um, like I showed in those couple areas where God comes to him in the vision, says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And his first thing is, by no means, Lord. He's getting instruction from God, and his first thing is, by no means. Nothing I've ever eaten. I've never put anything common or unclean in my mouth. And then later on in, the, in that passage, we see where uh, the angel tells him, rise and go with these people without hesitation. And his first response again is them, to them, okay, yeah, I'm Peter, but what do you want? And so this is kind of Peter's personality. We see this throughout the Bible, throughout the New Testament with Peter. And um, I just want to take a minute to take a look at a few of these instances where uh, God is coming to Peter, and he's, he's saying, God, you are the Lord of my life, and lordship means ownership. Yet Peter wants to say, hold on a minute, argue with God, argue with Jesus, ask questions, disagree. So Well, first, we'll take a look at the instruction in Luke 6, 46. You guys got that one? This kind of shows us what Jesus says about lordship. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? This is something we see as that becomes a pattern with Peter. He's, he's like, Lord, Lord, but then he's like, by no means am I going to eat that. So Jesus said there, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? So we'll take a few uh, look at Peter a few times here. Um, fishing at the Sea of Galilee, Luke chapter 5. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put, it out, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at, but at your word, I will let down the nets. So he's out there fishing, and I can see him at this. This is his career. This is what he does. He's a fisherman. And Jesus comes out, and he says, Peter, put down your nets on this side. And he says, man, I've been out here fishing all night. This is what I do. I'm a fisherman, but whatever. If it's your will, I'll put it down. And it came in, and it says the nets were breaking with the amount of catch that was there. The next one we'll take a look at is... Mark, or Matthew chapter 16. This is when Jesus was predicting what would happen to him. It says, from that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go into Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned to him and said, to Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You're a hindrance to me, for you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So he's saying, Look, I know you're God. I know you're the Son of God. I know you know what's going to happen, but that ain't going to happen to you. You're the Lord of my life, and I know that I'm following you, and you're my teacher, and you're prepping me for what's to come. But you're wrong on this one. That ain't going to happen to you.
Matthew 26, 31 through 34. This is when Jesus predicted that they would all run away. And then Jesus said to them, you will fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, truly I tell you this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So he's telling them, he's telling them what's going to happen and there's Peter again, pipes up. Not me, Lord. Not me, Lord. They might all fall away, but I'm not going to do it. And Jesus tells him before the rooster crows three times. And we've seen later what follows after this is like he gets to the point where he's cursing at people. He's yelling at a young lady. I am not with him. John chapter 13, 3 through 10. So Judas is having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and Pharisees and went there. (laughs) Kindergarten, doctor, same, same thing. Okay. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon, Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing to you You do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not every one of you. So again, another example we see of uh, Jesus is initiating something. Jesus is initiating this situation, this um, situation with Peter, and we see Peter arguing and disagreeing. And so it goes on from here, and we're not going to read. Oh, I changed my page to find that. So we're not going to go and read through the rest of this but so what happens is Peter rises and he goes back with them and he goes back and he meets with Cornelius and he shares the gospel and the gospel that he shares with him when he gets back to his home is a a much simpler a much more condensed version versus what we see that Peter shared earlier in Acts on the day of Pentecost when he gave this big drawn out sermon he tells him, he tells him in this section, anyone who calls on the name of Jesus 
will receive forgiveness of their sins and will receive eternal life. He gives them the gospel, the cut down gospel. Believe with your heart, mind, body, and soul. Your sins have been forgiven through the shedding of his blood. And Cornelius is reached, and it's at this time that um, it goes through, and at the the end of the chapter is the Holy Spirit falls onto the Gentiles. And Gentiles is just outside of Jewish. There's Jewish and there's Gentiles. It's someone who is not Jewish. And at that time, Peter never really imagined that happening. He never imagined the gospel reaching the Gentiles until this encounter. So this encounter with a vision and with Cornelius that changed his heart. And the reason I kind of keyed in on those situations in the first part of Acts chapter 10 is because I think for the most part, from time to time, all of us here in this room can either fall into one of those two categories. One, you know God, or you may have this understanding of God, but you don't know the whole truth of Jesus Christ. You may have um, said some prayers in a, in a tough time or a situation, God help me through this, but not ever fully accepted Jesus Christ into your life as your Lord and Savior. Or some of us, I know me anyway, I don't want to put you guys in a category, but sometimes we got some Peter living in us where we know the truth and we know that Jesus is the Lord of our lives and we know that all good gifts are from above and from him. But sometimes we just want to drive the boat. Sometimes we want to steer the ship. Sometimes we feel like we know what's best for us, and we want to argue with God a little bit and say, yeah, I understand that, but hold on a minute. <laughs> Don't put your head down, bro. You're good. Um, and it happens. And it reminded me of sometimes you see these little memes on Facebook, and I see one all the time, and it says, God is my co-pilot. I freaking hate that meme. <laughs> I freaking hate to see that. He doesn't want to be your co-pilot. He doesn't want you in the way. He doesn't want us tugging at the wheel thinking we know what's going on. He wants to be the captain of our boat. He wants to be the Lord of our lives. He wants to steer our ships. Um, So in just a moment, um, just a moment, I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And if you feel like you fall into the category of Cornelius where through all of this you've never really accepted Jesus Christ into your life as your Lord and Savior. Like I ask you to spend this time and spend this time in this prayer with me. Um, Will you start that one song and just turn it down a little? I don't want it to be awkward silence. It it gets me sometimes. Turn it down a little more. And then also if If you feel like you fall into that category of maybe you got some Peter living inside of you where he's the Lord of your life, but you're trying to take the wheel, you're trying to control the ship, um, I just ask you to say this prayer with me. We can close our eyes, we can welcome God into our lives.
Father, our prayer is that we would all know the life-transforming Jesus personally, that he would come into our lives, and that through him, we'd make all things new for those that commit their lives today for the first time, or those that recommit their lives, because we tend to pull at the wheel. So if you guys feel that you fell in either one of those categories with me today, I'm going to lead in this prayer, and I'll say a part, and then I, I just encourage you to pray it from your heart and say it out loud too. Lord, I give you my life. I know that I am a sinner. Please forgive me. I believe in Jesus. That he died for me. That he shed his blood for me. That he cleansed me from all of my sins. That he rose again. And that he is alive right now. God, I turn from my past. I turn from my sin. And I turn to Jesus Christ as my Savior. And my Master. And it is in his name that we pray. Amen. So uh, in a moment here, we're going to take communion. If our ushers could come up and pass around communion for us. Once we receive the uh, communion elements, um, take that time. Take that time to thank Jesus that he willingly allowed his body to be broken for your sins. That his blood was shed to wash us clean. you took that time to invite him into your life or recommit your life to him and turn the wheel over to him, take that time to thank him for this. Jesus, we're so grateful that, we're so grateful for the events that happened. We're so grateful for the sovereignty of God, of knowing that we were going to be down here kicking and struggling and fighting and not wanting to turn over the wheel. We're so thankful for grace. We thank you for climbing onto the cross and shedding your blood that we could be reunited with the Father. It's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen.